0: Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshots Off Track Betting. Go to betfredsports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ Two. <laughs>
2: welcome to rock and roll heaven the podcast where we talk about the lives careers and deaths of famous musicians i am your host ld along with me for the ride as always is tj2 the deuce was that a party popper
3: <laughs> seriously wait, wait, hold on wait, wait wait wait
2: i think he's just i think he's just paying i was like out. just the naked gun oh <laughs> yeah oh. Oh. Oh,
4: you-
3: you never really buy tea; you just rent it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what What are you drinking? I uh, had some Johnny. Well oh, done. Oh, nice. We were just mm. talking about that, but we were true. Oh, has been
3: that. Oh. oh, it's been a handsome Johnny kind of day. I'm not gonna lie to you.
2: Well, yeah. the, Will had uh, we Will found the banana liqueur, and so we were trying oh. to figure out the, the the name of the drink again, and we finally landed on it. That
5: would be the Ricks to see, if you'll recall. The Ricks to see. Amy oh. Whitehouse episode.
2: I called it the Rickets.
5: Uh, I'd rather have Rickets than that. <laughs> Jeez. I
3: think I, I think I call it a big old bottle of crap. But yeah, it's
5: still in there. Uh, for our listeners, we're gonna have a contest to give away five sevenths of a bottle of banana liqueur.
2: Ugh. All right, yeah. and then our storyteller today, Mr. Will the Thrill.
5: Greetings and salutations. All right. All right. What, what, you what was that? Uh, I'm just going with the old rum and coke, but uh, okay. I'm sure for our listeners, that sounded much classier than it actually was. Fancy, fancy, fancy. Hey, I used to tend bar. If How anybody's nice. wondering,
2: I'm just drinking a ginger ale, good old gingered ale. Hard,
5: and, hard. And, and, and who of the three of us will be the most misbehaved? My money's on LD.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah. Is it Blenheim? I I haven't even uh, I haven't. No, it's uh, it's Canada Dry. <clears throat> okay.
5: We, they don't have do they, they don't
2: have Blenheim
3: in California, do
2: they?
5: Uh, I think they do in like the big like wine and more stores. Like the really stores?
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you oh, can't okay. get it everywhere. Cool. Yeah. All the all the way from little little old South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: So the world's
3: uh, finest ginger ale. Indeed.
2: so just to uh catch people up uh what what hard-hitting news stories are we uh gonna be talking about today we had a we had a loss and i'm gonna let the boys helm this one
5: yeah this was not a musical loss but i think tj this hit you and i the hardest norm mcdonald has exited stage left
3: uh boy, that one sucks so bad uh, i was, a was huge, really i that was that was, a, that was a huge huge norm mcdonald fan um he was probably you know, we don't, we don't talk about comedy a whole lot here. We make extremely feeble attempts at doing it ourselves, but we don't talk about comedy very much because it's a music podcast. I like comedy almost as much as I do music, and Norm was probably my
5: favorite. Um, and and LDs was saying, you know, his brand of comedy was not for everybody, but she respected it.
2: Yeah. yeah sure. Like, the, the thing is, you guys have heard me say this before, which is, you know, Prince was not my favorite artist, but I respected the hell out of him. And Norm Macdonald is kind of like that, is you know I, I I he's not my cup of tea, but I know that he has an audience, and there is there are people that love his brand of comedy, but it's just not my and kind.
3: He to me he was the best weekend update anchor ever. He was the best oh. talk show guest ever. Yep. Um, yes. And if you doubt if you doubt that, just go go find the clip of him on Conan O'Brien with Courtney Thornsmith.
5: Smith. <laughs> oh, it's genius.
3: Or find him telling the moth story. Or the Kirchner-Leslie story or any of those those other long, meandering, hilarious, 10-minute-long stories with a cheesy punchline. Um, he was, to me, the finest uh, job of hosting an award show ever was done by Norm MacDonald at the ESPYs in 1998.
5: Oh, that's right. Um, oh, that was because, fantastic. And,
3: and, you know, people... I think uh, Ricky Gervais did something similar recently where he just got up there and savaged everybody, but mm-hmm. nobody had ever done it before Norm did. And it started with a joke about statutory rape. And it ended with a joke about OJ Simpson murdering.
5: And, and I do think you, you said it that it sort of springboarded that type of approach to hosting, which other hosts have like Steve Martin did it. Um, you know, uh, Martin might've done it before Norm McDonald, but again, roasting yeah. the the audience is is a big part of it. And, and speaking of
3: roasts, the one he did of Bob Saget, where he got up and told like these old, unfunny jokes on purpose. Oh, it was because so Because they told him, oh, go up there and just be vicious and as nasty as you can just take it as far as you can take it. And he's like, oh, my friend Bob, he has a lovely face like a flower, a
5: cauliflower.
3: <laughs> and I think
5: it, it was the late Greg Giraldo who said his set was like watching Henry Fonda pick, pick blueberries. blueberries. It, it was
3: but he intentionally ate it oh of course a, it was hilarious. A, because a because he didn't like people telling him how to do his comedy and they told him to be really nasty and the other thing is he really liked Bob Saget they're like I didn't realize this. they were best best friends um apparently yeah. about a week before Norm died Saget got a text out of nowhere from him that just said I love you mm-hmm. Aww. um so you know you know he you know he kept his illness secret but I think from what I've because I've read an awful lot about it and listened to a lot of Uh, interviews and podcasts his really really close friends knew something was off but they didn't know what it was kind of like
2: I likened it to David Bowie nobody
3: knew Neil Peart too yeah just one day you you hear he died of cancer and you're like well I did he had cancer yeah Neil Peart as well it it is you're right you're right LD and now that you mentioned that that's that's an excellent comparison it's very similar to Bowie yeah um but he was just and I think it was Andy Richter who said and I I kind of touched on this when I was trying to I was Will and I were texting about about Norm and I, I. I said I think I've kind of distilled part of his greatness. Andy Richter said, uh, and said this to Conan O'Brien after one of Norm's appearances. He said, "You know, that guy." Doesn't care in a way that scares me.
5: (laughs) (laughs) It's right. It's correct. Yeah,
3: just an absolute original, but one of the greatest comic voices ever. All right, brother, we love you.
5: Oh yeah, and we and Bob Saget, his good friend, helmed the 1998 classic, which I made LD watch. Dirty work in honor of yes, that movie is so stupid, but it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh so hard.
3: It's like Norm. It It makes me laugh hard. Uh, and I would just is, I, I can't tell you the number of times I have to stop myself from doing like norms cadence <laughs> where he would talk where he would talk for a second and then pause and then uh, blurt something out.
2: You do that all the time.
5: He was a master and that's
3: why and that's why I do it. I've said on this podcast or so the Germans would have us believe
5: that's normal. <laughs> and the germans believe ladies and gentlemen and with that absolutely we have made history i think making the only comparison between prince and norm Macdonald
3: and yeah. david prince, no. we went from prince to norm Macdonald to david bowie to hitler i think we're good yeah
5: i think we came full circle on All that right. one so yeah i
2: think i think yep, at yep. That point, we, yeah. we have got bingo and uh we should start
5: so if you'd like to give us money our patreon is <laughs> <laughs> let's quit while we're ahead here guys see you guys <laughs> yeah. next week
2: yeah. <laughs> all right so who are we talking of? well no it's not who are we talking about we know we're it's about. what are we talking about ah, so it's yes. it's it's part
5: two of Jim Croce yes uh we are back with Jim we introduced you to his life in the last episode a little bit about his relationship with Ingrid and we're gonna pick up right where that left off we, we kind of was, I, I,
3: I was gonna say we, we started at the very beginning of his life and we got up to I, I guess he was sort of this point honing his stage act and persona in clubs and it sounded like in a really rough one where he performed behind chicken (laughs) wire
5: correct the riddle paddock that's the one yeah and uh that's where we're gonna bring it back to our story dear listeners with jim playing at the riddle paddock also working as a dj and a songwriter, and Ingrid working hard to finish school. Remember, she was not, still in high school. And
2: not wear those, those stupid mittens.
5: Oh, the howdy Duty mittens? Yeah, yeah, I love that story. That's
2: so cute.
5: And that was in uh, an interview with Ingrid, which is uh, just delightful. Again, if you can see her later interviews, because there's a lot more about her to come, they're, they're, they're awesome. Um, and yeah, Ingrid's still in high school, getting through that. So still, Jim's parents are being their charming selves, questioning his path, telling him he's a bum. And Ingrid is still, as you'll remember, recovering from the death of her mother, who she lost to breast cancer uh, just before she got into high school. And, <laughs> and,
3: if, and if I remember right now, his neither family is very accepting of their child's romantic choice.
5: Yeah, it didn't align with what they expected. So... That's actually going to come into major play in this episode. Uh, Ingrid is actually working to get into college. She's got her sights set on two schools, the University of Pennsylvania and Rhode Island School of Design. As we all know, Ingrid is very artistically inclined. And we take you back to a simpler time, spring 1964. It was a time of love, and Jim and Ingrid were certainly that. Now, remember, they had only met the previous December. Mm-hmm. at the as i called it meet cute in the parking lot on the way to the audition They're always adorable yeah. to me so the next few years it's gonna feel like the world is trying to rip them apart and a lot of it's tj what you're talking about too the parental sort of discontent there so we dive back in to the story of Jim and Ingrid Croce. They always had music, of course. That's one of the things they had together. There's gonna be a few common things we're gonna hear time and time again as their relationship blossoms. And I wanna cue you in on a couple before we get started here. And those are some of the terms that they use frequently. They will both call each other for the duration of their lives together, sweet thing. So just know in letters and writing, if you hear a sweet thing, it actually is both ways. Jim to Ingrid, Ingrid to Jim. And whenever they would have a surprise for one another, they would say, I have an S. So keep that I in mean, mind. That's,
2: well, I mean, like, that's mm-hmm. the thing is like couples come up with their own vernacular. Agreed. Yeah. Like we call each other, we're, we're the bears. Mm-hmm. So you're big bear, I'm little bear. But like, if I say teasels, pleasels, poozles, you know that I'm thirsty, right. you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, there are like, what's something else that, that we say? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, ahead. every, Everybody has little terms
3: of endearment, you know. My right. wife calls me mouth breathing sheep shit, uh, shit weasel, um, just as an example.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, this might be a good not really. thing. maybe put up. Not really. Put a... Yeah, but
5: actually it's not
3: a she doesn't say it in a nice
5: <laughs> <laughs> although with her with her voice and delivery, I can picture it in the sweetest way possible. You are Mouth breathing so shit weird. weasel. Which reminds me, this episode does contain graphic language. <laughs> it also so contains sorry. substance abuse, Bodhi lyrics. Uh, There is an essay warning, it's coming up, and uh, I think some themes that some people might find upsetting. So if the term mouth-breathing shit weasel has offended you, you may want to put the kids to bed for this one. (laughs) And the last thing you're going to find time and time again, which is again going to span the Jim and Ingrid relationship, is letter writing. It's going to be a big part of what they do, and I'm actually going to take excerpts from some of these letters and share them with you, our dear listeners. As we know, Jim was a writer, he was also a big reader- Which seems to be a common thread for my subjects. Have you noticed that? I tend to veer towards the readers. Uh, Jim, Neil Peart. um, Those are just two to name a few, but I know there's others. Uh, Doug uh, Doug Hopkins, too. Doug Hopkins, yes. Big reader, absolutely. So whenever Jim was away, and he's going to be away a lot (laughs) in this entire series, he would write letters very often to friends, family, Ingrid, of course. And many of these were actually compiled into collections, which were released after Jim's death. Now, Jim and Ingrid have only been dating a few months at this point. Again, starting in really December, and we're now in spring, you know, March and April. They are inseparable at this point. They play music regularly. They go back to Jim's catalog of standards of Bessie Smith, Fat Swaller, and Jimmy Cox. Ingrid's birthday was in April, and he got her two S's, a pair of homemade sandals, and a jade ring. Now I was reading somewhere that actually Jade is a substance that it sort of denotes. What's the term I'm looking for? Persistence. Persistence.
2: I love that you looked at me. Like I would know like what I, I, I don't even wear jewelry, much less go into what is it? Crystallology. Right. Yeah.
5: It's something to do with persistence or basically sticking through tough times. And that's going to be real appropriate because their relationship is about to be tested. Now, In later interviews, Ingrid confessed that even when she first met Jim, she always knew that they would spend a short amount of time together. She always knew. She just had this feeling that their time was very finite, and she had no concept of how finite that is. Because again, we're in 1964. Jim is on the clock for nine more years. Jeez. Yep. Nine more years. That summer... Jim's friend, Joe Salviola, who he nicknamed Sal, actually came to him with a unique opportunity. The NSA, no, not the National Security Agency, the National Student Association of Philadelphia was hosting a music contest and they were putting together a band with the intention of touring overseas. They were doing a nationwide search for four people. So they would combine this into a quartet that would go to Turkey, North Africa, Italy, and the Middle East. Now, the NSA said that they were seeking musicians that were, quote, intelligent people with a fairly good knowledge of American life and politics. They also needed to have a, quote, compelling stage presence. So based on what we've seen, I think we would agree that Jim is a pretty good candidate at this point. He's astute. He knows how to work a crowd. He auditions at the Main Point Coffee House located on Lancaster Avenue in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Now, this coffee house was actually founded earlier that year by three couples who were big fans of folk music. Now, if I were to read the complete list of acts at Main Point, we would be here for hours. So I'm just going to point out a few, and TJ, let me know if this string of disappointments is uh, at all sparking a hits a chord with you. The musical acts included Cat Stevens, Jackson Brown, Edgar Winter, Linda Ronstadt, Warren Zevon, Stevie Wonder, (laughs) Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, John Denver, Tom Waits, Bruce Springsteen, and Billy Joel, and that's not even the whole list.
3: So uh, do, when do you get to the good ones then? Just
2: yeah, keep
5: I'm, I'm looking. I, I don't know. That no
2: talent hack, Billy. God,
3: I was gonna, seriously, like a, 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 a roster full of uh, struggling young uh, indie acts. That, yes. Yeah,
2: I'm sorry. I can't. That, I just, that have
3: garnered I, little attention or acclaim.
2: I can't root for anyone who's driven through more than one person's living room.
5: He worked very hard to achieve that. <laughs> they also hosted, this is appropriate to our conversation earlier, TJ, comedians. Some of the most, oh,
0: wow.
5: yeah, some of the most prominent comedy acts were Lily Tomlin, yeah. Jay Leno, Al Franken, Cheech and Chong, and this one goes out to one of my personal favorites. I think TJ, you enjoy his work as well. The late George Carlin.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah,
5: gotta love George. Yes. Yeah, sad to say, the Main Point is no longer in existence. It did close in the eighties. It was reopened as the Point, but that only lasted until the mid aughts, two thousand five, two thousand six. So sadly, it is no longer a destination, but oh, wow, sure, sure was for a chunk of time there. On July 28th, 1964, Jim auditioned at the main point, convinced after walking out that he wouldn't make the cut. Three weeks later, he was proven wrong and he was asked to join the tour. Jim was joined by a banjo player named Bob Knott, a guitar player named Gene Uppenhoff, Uphoff, and a singer and kazoo enthusiast, From Champaign, Illinois, (laughs) Susie Levin. Yes.
2: Did you just say kazoo? She played the
5: kazoo. Kazoo enthusiast. She played the kazoo. Wow. She was described as being, quote, round and bouncy. I think you just broke my head. (laughs)
2: Because now, here is the theme from the Titanic. As the kazoo. As a kazoo. kazoo. Nice.
4: (sighs) A kazoo
3: enthusiast. A kazoo enthusiast is a noun I did not know existed uh, yeah. until
5: just now. <laughs> well, is, is anybody really that enthusiastic about a kazoo? Well, read, I mean, reading really. up on, on Susie Levin, it, it the shoe really fits on this one. She was described, getting as bouncy and round. She was the kind of person who walked into a room and everyone knew she was there. She was kind of the energy.
3: Bouncy. Are those three descriptors a lady wants? Bouncy round, round. And the kazoo
5: is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a Tinder profile right there. Folks.
2: Everybody knew she was in the room because of the kazoo.
5: Just...
2: Yeah. <laughs> Susie's here.
5: I feel like it's all lyrics that soul coughing song, the kazoo is in the room. <laughs> That smell is in the
3: room. Well, do you remember that there was actually a kazoo on uh, Eric Clapton Unplugged?
5: Yes. No. Yes, um, was, there it is San, in, uh, was it on
3: San Francisco Blues? Yeah,
5: Rolling a Tumbling Down in San Francisco. But yep. Mm-hmm. Kazoo actually,
3: and it was, and if somebody like promised, it was like, it was like Chuck, it was like Chuck Lavelle or somebody that played.
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> I a heavy really? Air?
5: I could play that. <laughs> yeah, I could sit there and made a fool of myself. Yes. <sighs> Well, these four, Bob, Gene, Jim, and Kazoo Enthusiast Susie made up the Philadelphia Choir, which was one of one group that was going out on the trip. Now, bear in mind this was an international thing, so they had groups from other countries, but they were all kind of touring together. The Philadelphia Choir left out of New York in early August of 1964. They flew to Italy first and then made their way to Istanbul. Now, I'm including this description of Jim because he sounds like Borat. He apparently wore knee-high cutoffs, a polka dot shirt, mirrored sunglasses, knee-high dress socks, and pointy Italian leather shoes. It sounds like Borat.
2: This is my band. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice.
5: <laughs> I will let Jim's letter tell the story of what this was like. So here is an excerpt from a Jim Croce letter from the mid-60s to his parents. Dear Mom, Dad, Rich, and Pa. Pa being obviously massimo babusai which is my favorite name of all time love that name it's fantastic
2: it's so fun to say it just
5: flows yeah it does i think that's a lyric in that michael jackson song is not it say, Mabusai, 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 Mabusai. Mabusai, yeah.
2: yeah that yes it was <laughs> which uh just uh you guys just a uh, heads up that's gonna be our next series <laughs> Sorry, I was oh, this thing. hey yeah. wait we gotta uh-huh.
3: hey wait time out everybody ld i yeah. need you to repeat um uh, that there's something i'm i am it's not on the level of the band's name that we have to mention every week. But unofficially, anytime you talk about movies, there's a thing I'm supposed to do and I didn't do it. Can you just say again that, like, uh, I'm, I have to watch Borat?
2: Okay. okay. Yes. Huh? So, T, you need to watch Borat.
3: I prefer Howard the Duck. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> on that note. Well, <laughs> Leah Thompson was
2: great.
5: Who didn't love Leah She was fantastic, yeah. I love Leah Thompson. No. So, Jim writes, (laughs) Dear Mother, Dad, Rich and Pa, this has really been some experience. Pardon my writing. I'm in a 60-bed room in Istanbul being attacked by bedbugs. What a city. Very nice people from all over the world, many from Germany. Dad, those German lessons finally came in handy. I have rested up and feel good. We have seen quite a bit of the city in the past few days. It is divided into two halves. The half, old half is different with mosques and temples and castles. The bed is not like home, but I suppose it will have to do. The toilets are, well, let's just say pretty interesting. Yesterday, we went for a funeral for the head of a festival who was killed in a car crash. They carried the body through the narrow streets of the city for several miles to the mosque. The Swedish group led the procession with their band. It was sad. Mom, my clothes are going far. There are plenty of sinks for washing them, and they dry in several hours. Dungarees in three hours, underwear in two. Dad, I will not be able to send many cards because they cost 60 cents, which is about four fifty today. It's just too much. Well, it's time to eat, so I'll leave. Beautiful breeze blowing through the city and the courtyard of this big palace-sized building we're quartered in. Say hello to everyone. Love, Jim. Jim did extensive research before the trip. Now, remember, he read pretty much anything he got his hands on. He was terrified of diseases. Absolutely terrified. So the first thing he did was he found a druggist in Turkey and he asked for protection. Now the druggist looked at Jim and looked at Susie and pulled out a box of condoms. (laughs) So Jim's like, no, 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 no. We need protection against malaria. So the pharmacist says, okay. And he gives him quinine. Now Jim interpreted these instructions as seven times. So one per day. Well, everyone got sick. Jim was constipated, claiming he set a world record of quote, six days with no shit. It wasn't until <laughs> it wasn't until they got to Nigeria where Jim met a gentleman he befriended named Razak, who pointed out that he misunderstood the druggist's advice. You're supposed to take the quinine once a week, not every day. So everyone got quinine poisoning. Oh,
4: oh yeah.
5: God. Wow. yeah. 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 So Jim befriended a gentleman named Razak. They actually became very close in their time in Nigeria. They talked about politics, what was going on in the U.S., what was going on in Nigeria, and the two agreed to stay in touch. But sadly, that wouldn't really happen. Razak was actually killed during a student uprising in Nigeria wow. shortly after. It really hit Jim hard. The, the politics of that and everything just hits him really hard. You know what, uh, But you know what's interesting,
3: though, Will? Um, yeah. That's The song you played for us, uh, the, the rather bowdy one back in uh, part
5: one. Oh, yes. What was the name of that one? That one was the ball of Carrie mirror, but also known like, as balls to your balls. Partner, balls to your yeah, ball, but if you think about it in the,
3: in the, um, in that song, he does, a uh, a, there's a, a, a part before the song starts where he's sort of riffing with the crowd and telling a little story, but he actually says something about traveling abroad, yep. having all these getting all these intestinal parasites and yeah. bacteria and all these diseases and stuff. Like he, he made, now he makes a joke out of it for the purposes of, of wherever he was performing when he did that. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're saying that like, that's a thing that he was actually petrified of.
5: Oh, he was. Yeah. He was very scared of disease, at least in this touring and not, not so much at home, but um, yeah. And I think that the quote from the song was, it was an experiment to see how many diseases an American could get. So we go back to Ingrid, who's still in Pennsylvania, and she's being, she's a little confused about this whole thing. I mean, Jim's away. She's not sure what to deal with this. She started questioning the nature of their relationship. She's like, well, we're young. Is this going to last? And she actually starts dating somebody else. Um, She's still focused on her arts. She's actually doing ceramics at this point. And she actually performs locally at some folk festivals by herself. Um, Now, I will point out that when Jim gets back, there's a very awkward period where he like doesn't see her and this isn't really explained but it's kind of awkward and then finally he shows up at one of her shows that he apparently found out about in the philadelphia inquirer Huh. and he approaches ingrid and if we remember the last episode what does he do he asks to tune her guitar and that sort of sets the relationship back on course Cute. now it's important to note that this tour is impactful for a number of reasons but The main one is that it helped Jim land another gig. So Sal, his friend back in Philadelphia from Villanova was actually selected to produce a soundtrack for a documentary called The Miner's Story. It was actually filmed for local channel 10 in Philadelphia focusing on the story of local coal miners. And it actually covered the period from about the first world war all the way through what was then the present 60s. Now, the key thing about this documentary it was narrated by a hometown hero. And that person, TJ, you'll appreciate this, was born in Latimer Mines, Pennsylvania, Jack Palance. Oh, Jack Palance was Jack- also Yeah, he was a badass. Now, Sal gets selected to do this. He actually, he, so Jack actually found out through like the local papers that Jim was one of the people selected to go on this tour. And it piqued his interest. So Sal gave him a tape that jim had made and supposedly jack palance told him to get jim to do the music for the soundtrack (laughs) that's the story that is the story so jim gets back to find out this news from sal he's super excited his parents eh, less so less so uh he gathers all his friends tommy picardo sal mike v benedento bruce bartolini um, a bunch of nice italian boys from philly and they put together the soundtrack. Now Jim did the lay work on the research, reading everything he could about coal miners and the families and what was going on. He actually watched the documentary only once and then started writing the music. Jim allegedly finished the soundtrack in under 2 weeks, the entire soundtrack.
2: The entire. okay, the- again, yeah. again guys, <laughs> Oh, it's gonna get crazier stop with it. him.
5: It's gonna get crazier right. with him.
3: Yeah, that's you're just showing off now. Seriously, it's like
2: writing a book within like four mm-hmm. days, or making a movie in two, or yeah. like well, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was made in three. Oh, wait, wait and...
5: till I tell you the reason why I'm presenting most of this music out of time. You're just gonna you're gonna get really angry. <laughs>
2: okay, real. Oh, why well, does it doesn't have something to do? No, with... I'll tell you.
5: No, no, it's not like that. Angry. It's it's a long line. So of stop doesn't... hogging all the talent. Okay, yeah. so it doesn't
2: have anything to do with Phil Collins. No. Okay.
5: No, in fact, the two, to the best of my knowledge, never even met.
2: (laughs) Well, that makes me happy for Jim.
5: (laughs) So let's actually take an excerpt from that soundtrack. I want to share with you a song from The Miner's Story from 1965. This is one of the songs Jim put together for the documentary, apparently at behest of Jack Palance. Here is Cole Tattoo. (laughs)
4: That's the mark of the number. Someday when I die, and to heaven I go, to heaven, the land of my dreams. I won't have to worry about losing my job, to bad times and big machines. Still I've got no job, and I've got... side of my head left by the number nine, code,
5: left by the number nine code, left all right folks there is coal tattoo
2: i really like that i really really well you knew that i would like that you even said
5: i think you'll like this and yeah. you were right i feel like it's in your wheelhouse totally is tj any thoughts uh it's fine really liked. yeah simple but but impactful Hey, Will, I hate
2: to interrupt you right now, but we do need to take a short ad break.
0: Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Fred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to bedfredsports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
5: And we're back. Cool. Let's get back to Jim Croce. All right. So Jim and Ingrid are together again. Things are back on track, and they actually start talking about marriage, which brings up a valid point. TJ, you brought this up earlier. families how do they do this you have a jewish family with expectations you have an italian family with expectations i know what that's like (laughs) i know what that's like and also there's something else going on bear in mind this is the mid-60s vietnam yeah very prevalent topic
2: well it's that's along those storytelling slash protest songs like those songs that really we don't have anymore. Yeah. Like the ones that came to fruition during that time. And you kind of see them roughly through mid 70s. Mm-hmm. There was a really good mm-hmm. time for those. I mean, other than the medieval times when they really came. those That was really when they were banging was, you know, the medieval times. But in the 60s and 70s, you had this prevalence of storytellers coming through. We don't have that now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm,
3: oh, we have, we have them. They just get ignored to death. Okay. Yes, yeah. Uh,
2: fair, fair. There's, there are some really great artists that are putting out music like that now, but they do get ignored by every crevice of the musical community. Mm. And I really like those traveling storytellers. It's almost like menstrual songs. Mm. And that's, that's one of those ones was a uh, Harlan County, USA. Woman who did the song for that. That was so good. Loved it.
5: Nice.
3: I'll tell you, a good menstrual song was uh, Red Wings.
5: Oh my God. Uh, really? God.
2: See yourself out. Wow. Bye. Wow.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Holy hell.
2: Fire. <laughs> uh, yeah.
5: I'll get, I'll get oh, this yeah. a minute because TJ is yeah. cracked. He's gone. Okay. I'm and sorry. That's like. <laughs> and I've had a drink. And drink it. Yep. I get it. All right. So the whole reason that we bring up the relationship Ingrid have is because this young gentleman was actually drafted and he goes to Vietnam. Now, I'll admit, I don't know his fate. I don't know how that played out, but it made everyone kind of look around and go, huh. So if you're a young man in the mid 60s, I think you have some some choices to make. Jim and Tommy Picardo decided the best thing they could do was actually join the National Guard. That way they couldn't be drafted. They would only be brought over if the reserves were needed, and they would probably be at home anyway. Fair. Yeah. So they both signed up. And around this time, Ingrid is finishing up high school, and she does get accepted to Rhode Island School of Design. So she's prepared to go to college that fall. The two were talking about marriage. They had two main problems here. One was that Ingrid thought it would be good for Jim to move in, but Jim knew his parents would not go for it. They would no way support that. The other problem was money they didn't have any both of them were totally broke now jim was still playing the paddock for a modest fee jim and ingrid did play out together so they would do gigs at places like the main point the second fret and the gilded cage they pulled a lot of their repertoire from artists that were big at that time like simon and garfunkel ian and sylvia gordon lightfoot so you got that going for you yeah all right daffy Canadian. i like gordon lightfoot um, and Love and Spoonful. Now, a lot of people know Love and Spoonful because of their notable hit "Summer in the City," right? Mm-hmm. Came out in 1966. That same song would be covered 20 years later by English rock band Manfred Mann's Earth Band. A <laughs> uh, Manfred Mann Earth Band. Reference to the podcast has been satisfied. We have a song now. That's awesome! Wow! Holy cow! Well done, sir. Nicely done. Hey, thanks.
3: So, hey, uh, hey, Jim's not the only guy who could write a song,
5: okay? Yeah, clearly. I, <laughs> uh, I think there's still time. You can put yeah, I, out I took
3: a, I took a thing that uh, we say every week, and I just did it sing-songy. But I think that's as good as you know Jim did.
2: Yeah, it's it's a. Uh... That's that's what I'm gonna pull uh, every time we have to record, and for some reason my brother can't be around.
5: And that's just what we're going to use. I'd put that somewhere between Sun Come Up and Cookie Puss. I don't know where, but it fits somewhere between those two.
3: It's it's actually somewhere below um, Dirty Water Dog.
5: <laughs> nice. It's right under Let's Van Halen 3. It's, yeah, it's right. just under Van. <laughs> actually, I'm going to put it a little above Van Halen 3. That actually, yeah, I was going to say, that actually had a melody. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would listen to that again. That's the difference.
3: Yeah, that right. <laughs>
5: So needless to say, August rolls around, Ingrid is going to leave for school, and the two agree sort of unofficially that they are going to get married. She's going to go to her first semester. So Jim proposes unofficially. Uh, He basically says, okay, let's get married because he knows he can't move in with her. So we're going to spend this time kind of getting ready to do that. So he spends the next few months working his butt off and writing letters to Ingrid, also recording songs for her on her father Sidney's reel-to-reel recorder
2: okay, but where is her family and all, like, where are their families and all this? Are they okay with this? Or Well, they haven't
5: said they're going to married yet, so this is kind of on the side. Okay. So they haven't told their families they're going to get married. Yet. Okay. Right. So Jim writes some letters. I'm going to spare you these letters, because, uh, well, they're not that great. Uh, I'll read you one line, okay? As the bamboo grows straight and tall. Nope,
2: I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs>
4: okay,
5: we're done with
3: stop that. Stop it. We're done.
5: That's a direct quote. I took that from the book.
4: Uh,
3: <laughs> That actually that sounded the uh, veiled like a veiled dirty thing.
5: Uh, it actually wasn't. It says so does my love for you. So oh, I close. guess he's venturing into poetry. Now, Ew. sometimes Ingrid said that Jim would actually send two letters a day to her. See, two a day. Now you're just oh wow. Going off. Yeah. Now what was what was Jim doing in this time? He was playing the paddock, as we know. He actually got his job at Villanova as a disc jockey, and he tried to get another job. Now. He couldn't land a job as an ad writer or a disc jockey somewhere else, but a local station gave him the opportunity to sell airtime. Okay. The issue was they gave him the roughest neighborhood in which to do it. So he was in the predominantly African-American section of West Philadelphia. Born and
2: raised.
5: So needless to say, it was kind of a running joke. They were like, hey, Jim, if you survive, you can become a writer. (laughs) so he goes out he pounds the pavement so he's got three jobs at this point
2: so he's kind of like me
5: he's kind of like you yeah (laughs) now ingrid is obviously keeping up her end of the bargain she's at school but she takes on work as a housekeeper and a cook for a local group at brown uh she basically takes care of their house cooks their meals to earn some extra money now as we mentioned before jim was recording on sydney jacobson's reel-to-reel recorder he actually spent a lot of time with ingrid's father Ingrid's father was a psychiatrist, and oftentimes they would discuss religion, they would discuss philosophy, and they started talking about life and death, because at that time, Sidney hadn't told anybody, but he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, Jim doesn't know, and Ingrid doesn't know, Mm. but as we all know, I mean, there's no good type of cancer, but pancreatic is among, I think, the lowest survival rate, if I'm not mistaken.
3: I, I think so, yeah. So
5: we get through the fall and by Christmas, Jim actually goes down to the school and he takes the raisin, the VW bug, which will be so prominent in this story. And they actually take a little time together. They go to a boarding house in Providence town, Rhode Island. The town is almost deserted. It's just before Christmas, it's winter. They go to the only open restaurant they can find. When they get back to their room, Jim actually takes out his guitar. He sings, blow the candles out, which is an old sea shanty. He gets down on one knee, and presents a white gold diamond ring. Aww. So now it's official. They're getting married. The next task: tell the parents. Mm. <clears throat> Remember, <laughs> yeah, I know you both did that at the same time. That was <laughs> awesome. Made
2: the same noise. <laughs>
5: tell the parents. Since Ingrid's family was Jewish, they were actually doing a Hanukkah celebration on Christmas Eve, which meant they would go. This is like what we did: Christmas Eve to Ingrid's family and Christmas Day to Jim's. Okay. Yeah. So. Ingrid's family was surprisingly accepting. They welcomed Jim to the family. They were mazel cheering. Everyone was happy. But Jim was about to go to his parents the next day with two pieces of news they would not be thrilled about. Mm. First, he was marrying Ingrid. Okay. They were okay with that. They kind of saw it coming. She wasn't Italian. She wasn't Catholic. We can deal. Then he announces he's going to convert to Judaism. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, boy yeah it was going to be a jewish ceremony presided over by a rabbi and jim would have to undergo a certain procedure oh god yep oh god oh Oh. yep
2: now
3: 20 something years old yep (laughs)
5: yeah (laughs) i don't even have one and i'm like oh god i mean it tells you the guy was serious I mean, he's willing to go all the he's way. He's willing here. to chop oh, yeah dick yeah. off, and yeah, yeah. that's
3: true love. If that's not, uh, if that's not love, I don't know what is. In fact, you know how much I love you, baby. I'm willing to <laughs> let somebody take a scalpel and
5: yeah, woo, <laughs> oh. whittle my rod. <laughs> yes. Oh,
2: um, yeah. In yeah, fact, you know what, honey? Now I'm questioning your your dedication. To <laughs> yeah,
3: me. I don't. Yeah, well, I don't. I yeah, I didn't I have to convert your dedication to my sister. Yeah. <laughs>
2: questions must be answered <laughs> Yes, yeah. anything
3: that involves quitlin my junk, I just, yeah I
5: just it, in fact it, it gets even better because jim goes into detail about the ceremony where he says that uh he's actually surrounded by other men who are all watching this happen
2: oh yeah oh, oh. yeah oh my lord yeah. oh. see and i thought the worst part was like the fact that you would have to go to the rabbi three times and request conversion and learn hebrew and, and yeah. learn hebrew yeah. and like it's like oh, this is going to be really tough. Like, oh, he's going to have to face the rejection and know that he needs to come back and show his, you know, loyalty and, and willingness to convert. No, you have to cut part of your penis off.
5: You, you know who else did that, though? Who? Michael J. Fox.
2: Okay, I don't want yeah. to think
5: about Michael J. Fox's penis. When he married Tracy Pollan, and he converted to Judaism. Also,
2: guys, this is uh, probably, if you probably should. Uh... If you haven't
5: guessed by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. But, oof. Yeah, woof
2: Sorry, guys. You... Yeah,
5: there's something I just...
3: Something I want to say and I'm just, I'm just, so not, just yeah. not going to do it. I haven't had enough to drink to say the thing that's in my mind.
2: <laughs> Got it. Go ahead and say it because I can cut it out later.
5: Oh, <laughs> freezing. Freezing. Yeah. Freezing. Now, on the heels. <laughs> Let him talk, let them let the Oh, talk.
2: <laughs> boy. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
5: Now, on the heels of this jarring announcement, Jim's parents actually do something that was quite unexpected, and they offer a unique wedding present. Jim Sr. actually pulls his son aside and says, look, you two are going to need a nest egg. You need to learn about the business, so here's what I'm going to propose. He made his son a deal. He told Jim that he would pay for the cost of Jim to make an album. He would float the studio time, he would pay for the recording and the pressing. Jim had to sell the album. Now, the arrangement was that Jim could set the price at whatever he wanted. He could sell it wherever he wanted. He needed to pay back the advance. And anything that was profit, he could keep for him in Okay. Fair story? Okay. Fair. Yeah. Now, this may seem like a good thing on the surface, but it really wasn't. There was a sinister side to all this because at the core, Jim's parents were hoping he would fail. They were thinking he'd get out there, the album wouldn't sell, he'd bail on this whole music thing and forget it. However, Jim wouldn't fail. And that album would be Jim's first studio album entitled Facets. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I said a lot of you don't know Jim Croce's earlier stuff, and, and there's a reason why when it comes to this Facets album. So Jim receives the money from his parents, which was a, enough for about 500 copies of the record. Now. The record would contain 11 songs. Jim pulled together his usual suspects. He included his brother, Rich, who actually played guitar and did some percussion, Bob, the banjo player from the tour, Carl Fehrenbach, who he played with at the paddock.
2: Please tell me that you have the kazoo.
5: Uh, no, like, Susie doesn't. She goes back to Chicago. Oh, oh, sorry. No. sorry, guys.
2: Then I don't want to hear a song from
5: um, and, and Sal actually <laughs> was the producer on the album. Now, the other thing they did was they stuck him with a rough time frame. So the group had one night to rehearse before they went into the studio, those close to Jim said that narrowing it down to 11 songs was really hard because they claimed Jim knew over 2,000 songs. Wow! They could yeah, just name a song and he would rattle it off. Huh. The guy had a repertoire that was unbelievable. There are people who,
3: who for some reason, have that a bit now. Obviously, there's not 2,000 songs he wrote, right? I mean, these are that would include other people's songs that he knows
5: yeah some some he wrote but some mostly that he could play yeah there are
3: a few like um tom petty apparently had this a massive repertoire in his head such that at one point like his uh, drummer stan lynch said do you just go home and learn these and bring them just to to make <laughs> me look bad yeah
5: Okay.
2: Buck Owens uh, too.
3: Like every Elvis song, every Beatles song, every you know whoever Uh, he had a a massive repertoire. But two
5: thousand is unholy. That's crazy. Buck Owens. Buck Owens was like that too. He knew everything.
2: Now let me ask you guys a question. This Mm -hmm. is a little bit off topic, but you know we're we're all pretty well versed in concerts. So was there somebody who did a cover of a song in concert that actually surprised you? I want to say yes. I just
5: can't think of who it was.
2: Uh, oh, I know uh, one. Okay, go ahead.
5: I'm afraid I'm going to steal yours.
2: Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's not the one I'm choosing. Oh, it's not? No.
5: Uh, Billy Joel busted out his guitar, which everyone assumed was before we didn't start the fire, and it was, but he was accompanied by his ro- his roadie chainsaw to do Highway to Hell. Yep. <laughs>
2: so they did Highway, oh, to-, wow. Highway to Hell. wow. It was hilarious. Yeah. Now, back in, oh my gosh, 1998, 1999, I actually saw Hootie and the Blowfish. Shut up it was the time it was a a very good show actually but then darius rucker actually sang an acoustic version of i'm going home from the rocky horror picture show and it blew my freaking mind oh wow it was beautiful and i was kind of like man like how do you even work that like hey guys so we're gonna do a let her cry and then hold my hand and then let's do something from the rocky horror picture (laughs) show (laughs) like it was just so out of the blue have you had something like that T?
3: I was trying to think. Um, I saw Garth do American Pie. Um, oh wow.
2: That seems on brand.
3: But 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 without his band for, for the encore. He just came him. out and with just just him and his guitar he did American Pie and that was cool. Um I saw Robert Earl King do Tangled Up in Blue, followed by um, are you sure Hank done it this way? <laughs>
2: Ah, nice.
5: which, is,
3: which is pretty good I, I, I was trying to think of others but that's 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 the garth doing american Pie really sticks out
5: another one that comes to mind and i i say this with no offense to glenn campbell but my favorite version of wichita lineman was done by james taylor james taylor yeah yeah
2: it's a very 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 good very good cover yeah uh it's just like it's one of those things where it it's just interesting to me when someone pulls out something that they didn't do, and it was their interpretation. And
3: then, and then sometimes you go see Bonnie Wright, and she covers two NXS songs instead of doing "I Can't Make You Love Me."
2: Oh, you're still bitter about that, aren't I'm you? I'm
3: still angry. I yeah. would be too.
2: Yeah, well, we saw we saw Billy Joel, and he he didn't do like always a woman to me. And someone was complaining about that on the train ride home. And someone was like, "Yeah, but he did Xanadu."
5: Yeah. So
4: no
2: zanzibar
5: oh, Zan- did you? zanzibar yeah
2: zanzibar yeah zanzibar. Zanzibar.
5: Time, zanzibar. yeah what
2: well, yeah you can t- tell how deep cut i go with my billy joel well you Zanadu. know me yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. <Zanadu. laughs> nice.
5: so the facets album was recorded in rpl studios across the delaware river in camden new jersey
2: hey i know that place
5: well A lot of people know for the wrong reasons, it had the dubious honor of the highest crime rate per capita of any city in the US.
2: USA, USA.
5: (laughs) Uh, So narrowing it down from 2,000 potential songs, the songs on the album included a cover of Steel Rail Blues by Gordon Lightfoot, Cold Tattoo, Texas Rodeo, Charlie Green, Play That Slide Trombone, The Ballad of Gunga Din, Hard Hearted Hannah, Sun Come Up, which I played for you last time. The Blizzard, Running Maggie. Until It's Time to Go, and Big Fat Woman. So <laughs> I am going to leave it open to you to pick the song. Now, the two that are off the table, because we've heard them, are Sun Come Up and Cole Tattoo. I'd like you to pick another song I mean, I from Facets.
2: What, I know what TJ is going
5: to pick. TJ, what are you going with? Of the ones you just named? Yeah.
3: I am gonna. I think I'm going to surprise you inside the uh, Gunga Dan. of Gunga That's Dang. actually
2: what I was picking, too. But you, the weird reason why I was picking it is because it kind of reminds me of Caddyshack.
5: <laughs> Gunga Din, yeah because we were saying <laughs> Gunga, Gunga. Galunga. Gunga Galunga that's it
3: <laughs> it's not the Gunga Galunga blues that's a totally different thing
5: all <laughs> right so let's go with uh, Jim Croce and the ballad of Gunga Din
4: you may talk of gin and beer when you're stationed way out here and you're sent to penny fights and alter shot but when it comes to slaughter you'll do your work for water and you'll lick the bloomin' boots of him that's got it. Now in ninja sunny climb Where I used to spend my time Serving Her Majesty the Queen Of all the blackface crew The finest man I knew Was a regimental beastie Gunga Dean The uniform he wore Nothing much before and rather less than half of that behind. But a piece of twisty rag and a goatskin water bag was all the field equipment he could find. When a sweating troop train lay in a siding through the day where the heat would make your blooming eyebrows crawl. We shouted, Harry, by" till our throats were bricky-dry Then whopped him, cause he couldn't serve us all He would often carry one, till the longest day was done Never seemed to know the use of fear If we charged a broker cut, you could bet your blue men not Waiting fifty paces, right flying rear With his most on his back, he would skip to our attack and watch us till the bugles made retire. And for all his dirty hide, he was white, clear, white inside. When he went to tend the wounded under fire. It was Dean, 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 with bullets kicking dust spots on the green. And when the cartridges ran out, You could hear the front files shout. Send ammunition mules and Gunga I shan't forget the night when I fell behind the fight with a bullet where my belt plate should have been. I was choking mad with thirst, and the man that spied me first, good old Grinning Grunt and Gunga He lifted up my head and he plugged me where I bled And he gave me half a pint of water green It was crawling and it stunk And of all the drinks I've drunk I'm most grateful to the one from Gungadeen He carried me away to where a duly lay And a bullet came and drilled the beggar clean Carried me inside and Just before he died I hope you like your drink, said Gungadeen So I'll meet him later on In the place where he has gone Where it's always double drill and no canteen He'll be squatting on the coals Giving drinks to poor damn souls I'll catch a swig in hell from Gungadeen was Dean Dean Dean, you Lazarusian leather Gunga Dean. Though I felt that you and flayed you by the living God that made you, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Dean. All
5: right, folks, we are back. That is the ballad. Right. That
2: is. I love it. I absolutely love it.
5: Cool. That is again your your niche, right, LD? It
2: is. It is again. Like it's just good storytelling, not like that hack. Let's see what TJ thinks.
3: You know, like what that hack. Yeah, that sounded like a totally incomplete thought. Not like that hack
5: <laughs> and trailer.
2: Well, I was trying to figure out which hack to go with because you've got that hack, Gordon Lightfoot. Uh,
5: Gordon Lightfoot.
2: Uh, that the that the crappiest. The worst song. Nobody, hey, hey,
3: nobody sings feel good summer hits about maritime disasters quite like Gordon. <laughs> that <laughs> is
2: exactly the song I'm pointing He's out. He's got the market You of Edmund Fitzgerald is possibly the worst Damn. song ever. I would rather They're- listen to Blue by <laughs> Eiffel 65 on repeat <laughs> with my eyes taped shut for three days straight than ever have to listen to singing of Edmund Fitzgerald again. Now pay attention, kids. This could be a, That's a pretty
3: reaction, considering I've never heard of those people or that song.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, you have. It's the I'm blue. That's the only time that, that Eiffel 65 and Jim Croce will be in the same episode. I, but,
3: but regarding that song, Will, there was the, uh, there's a little recitation at the beginning of it, and then he gets into the body of the song, right. and there was one name. One comparison that immediately sprung to my mind and stayed there throughout the duration of what we just heard. Oh, let's hear it, Marty Robbins. Oh my oh,
2: God, yes. yeah.
5: Oh, definite yes. Okay, fair.
3: That Ooh. that that is that is El Paso. That is yes. Big Iron. That is that that from the minute he started, I said, "Wow, that sounds like Marty Robbins." And then when I saw where he was going with it, and he sings with a little bit of a twang. And that's the thing, Marty yeah. Robbins
2: is another great musical storyteller. Oh, absolutely, talent. El Paso is. Oh, that's one, that I, that's one of the best
3: story songs ever written. That's one of the best story songs ever written. It's, it's right up by, there, by a long
2: way. Um, that's right up there in the pantheon of the night the lights went out in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Like that kind, that level of storytelling is. But just it's phenomenal. it's actually
3: even better than the night the lights went out in Georgia because it's like a five minute long song and there's no chorus. Yeah. yeah, and you just you're. That's that's story. true storytelling. I'm never going to repeat myself. I'm going to tell you a story and then I'm just going to stop. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. from the top, from the minute he started Marty singing, Robbins. I was like, God, that yeah. just sounds like Marty Robbins.
5: Well done. I was going to yeah. say three artists for of came to mind. You can hear Gordon Lightfoot a little bit. Yeah, you yep. can. Um, I was going to say also Dolly Parton. Yep, it almost sounds a little yeah. bit
2: like the the Jolene. The, yeah, Jolene. The yeah. guitar chords did
5: sound a little bit like Jolene. And then finally, I, I'd say the third one would be John Denver less John, Denver a, but John like, Denver a little
2: bit of John Denver I would even lean more toward Marty and more toward Dolly. Yeah.
5: Yeah. yeah.
2: As you there's a, there's something about the quality of that music. Mm-hmm. Not not the actual song itself, not the singing, not the playing, but the actual recording of it mm. where it sounds it sounds sort of far away yeah it sounds like it's it's far away from you but it honestly feels more intimate and more warm than than something that's produced today
5: yeah for me and
2: so like this kind of music really hits a spot with me so yeah i'm for it like
5: and that was from the facets album jim's first album not many people know
2: also, uh, can, can me and T just get, like, a, a heck yeah on picking that song? Oh, that was, that, was that was
5: brilliant. Good choice. Yeah. yeah. again, I listened that, was real, that was really good, actually, yeah. Several times, which you have to piece together on the internet, but you can get it. It was released in 1966, and it came out 30 years after Jim passed in 2004. What? Yeah, so they re-released it. Mm. So Jim was going to set the price for the album at about $50. I'm sorry, $5, which is between 30 and 40 today, for the record. Now, he hated the cover. He absolutely hated the cover. He thought it was gaudy. He thought it was ugly. But he sold every single album. Holy cow. Now, there's one he didn't, except for one. And I'll tell you where that goes. It was enough to pay off his parents, and he retained... $1,700 for him and Ingrid, which would be about $12,000 today.
2: Nicely done. So well done, Jim. Why don't you uh, pick up your guitar? It's under the bed.
5: Yeah, right.
2: (laughs) to it, baby. If I'm
5: half as good as Jim Croce, you can have (laughs) $6,000. Now, if you happen to have an original pressing of facets, it's worth a ton. A lot of them were lost. Only 500 were made. And one copy in particular went to Tommy Picardo. Now, Tommy, Jim's good friend from Villanova, actually graduated a year earlier, and we said he joined the National Guard. He actually moved to New York, where he started working as a record producer, and Jim sent him a copy. File that away for later. Later in this story, we're gonna find a moment where, after Jim's death, his catalog's almost lost in a fire. Dude, we're, gonna oh, get to we're gonna get to but that. I, okay, so so I have a question. So,
3: okay, so he his parents fronted him the money to, to record correct this album and to do 500 pressings and he sells all 500 of them right and throws one or two aside for a friend or for himself or whatever but mm-hmm. but he sells all of them why didn't he do a second pressing i don't know it doesn't even say
5: um maybe he just i just, I just, I just that's do?
3: interesting because you know if he's struggling young artist and he's like wow i sold all 500 of these and put 12 grand away for me and ingrid yeah, yeah i should uh take a little piece of this money and go print a couple of hundred more
5: it would seem logical yeah yeah well just, in, i just i just wondered if that was a known thing i, I just yeah I, he didn't he didn't the yeah. ratings are uh only jim knows i guess interesting okay so his father pulls him aside and says you did a good job but this is small time it's not the same in the big leagues the people in the entertainment world are thieves don't get mixed up with them jim that life is no good for you. Jeez. So down to the the, the the end, he's still fighting this. Now, Jim and Ingrid had set a date for an August wedding. And they thought it would be best to be closer to home. Ingrid was actually accepted to the Moore College of Art in Philadelphia. She was at RISD, as we mentioned. And starting in the fall, she was going to go to Moore College. Sydney's health was continuing to decline. He actually opened up about his diagnosis. Um, he actually lost his ability to walk at some point. So they wanted the wedding closer, so Sydney could be there. And in a very private moment, Sydney actually pulled Jim aside, and he said, "Promise me that Ingrid will finish school."
4: Aww. And Jim
5: said, "I promise," and he sticks to it. But so, does he
2: know at this point? Because oh, he's public about it. Yeah. Okay. Again, so the guy some, I can, so I can't walk anymore. Well, so at some yeah. point, he does tell people. He does. Yeah, okay. he, is, he has made it known now. Okay.
5: The wedding was set for August. It was going to take place at Ingrid's family home in Wallingford, Pennsylvania. Two weeks before, Jim gets a notice. He's shipping out with the National Guard. Oh, no. Uh. One, one week after the wedding. One week. Now, at this point, as we discussed, the relationship between Jim and his family was quite strained at this point. But they showed up to the wedding. Oh. Last minute, but they showed up. Hey. Yeah, they got better there.
2: late than never.
5: So Jim and Ingrid were officially married August 28th, 1966. They had a brief honeymoon in St. Augustine, Florida. The world's, uh, sorry, the America's oldest city, if you didn't know that, St. Augustine.
2: Yes, and there's a lighthouse there. There is. And I do believe that's where they keep the haunted doll, Robert.
5: Apparently it's a very haunted city, allegedly. Well, why
2: haven't we gone?
5: It's a great place. I, I love it. I've been to St. Augustine. It's wonderful. All right, well then,
2: little vacation.
5: So Jim basically gets back for his honeymoon, packs up goes to the Wallingford home of the Jacobsons and says goodbye to everybody because he's set to go to Fort Jackson, South Carolina.
2: Hey.
5: Yep. Which is near Columbia, right? Yes, it is. Is Columbia? Yeah. Still there. I mean, it's an Army army Fort. Uh, Before his departure, though, Jim does send off that copy of Facets to Tommy Picardo in New York. And he actually says as he's leaving, he's like, I'm going to be a terrible soldier. He was right. We go to early September. Now TJ and LD, you can probably know. Early September, South Carolina. What's it like? Well, it depends on <laughs> near Columbia. Well, it sucks.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it always sucks in Columbia. Uh, South Carolina <laughs> in December, it's fine. It's gotten cold. Okay, it's gotten
5: cold. Well,
2: It's gets cold. It's what it's hot during the day and freezing during, during the night,
5: night. So you're more prone to get really sick. But it's also damp. It's, it's very humid. Damp. And that's apparently what Jim was among other things I'm happy with. It was humid. It was miserable. He hated the army. In a letter he wrote to his brother, Rich, Jim wrote, Dear Rich, they're really brainwashing these young kids. Everything is directed towards being a man. Go Airborne Ranger Special Forces if you're good enough to get in. And yet statistics show that 67% of the Green Berets got killed in Vietnam. My new slogan is join the ranks of the civilians if you're smart enough to get out brother Jim. That's the entire well. He also writes to Ingrid saying, I've not heard a wise thing since I've been here. So Jim didn't have the highest opinion of the military and the feeling was mutual. (laughs) Jim was not what you'd call (laughs) army material. Um, So first of all, we discussed Jim is naturally a non-confrontational person. So take that. He also questioned everything. That doesn't go over well in the army no it doesn't and he was a bit of a jokester which got him into a lot of trouble and often delegated him to tasks like cleaning the toilets after just four weeks jim actually posted a sign in the mess hall that said half the army reads comic books the other half just looks at the pictures well yeah it's funny a sergeant caught him and told him that he had basically flunked basic training and would have to do it all over again (laughs) because of that stunt. He was assigned to the Dumbbell Platoon, it was called, which was basically where all the washouts went. Now, things were looking bad at this point, but all was not lost. There's a few bright spots here we're going to hit. First of all, when Jim was reallocated to the Dumbbell Platoon, he had a new sergeant, a massive man who Jim described as looking like, quote, Sonny Liston. And TJ, you know what he looked like. Right. That guy was scary.
3: <laughs> Big, scary man. Yeah, Big,
5: yes. scary man. And right. in Jim-
2: Forgive my ignorance. I know the name. Is he a boxer?
5: Yes. Yes. Okay. He fought Muhammad Ali. Gotcha. In sort of a playful nature with Jim, the sergeant would actually talk to Jim and say, I'm bad. You know where I live so all the bad people live on the street. And the further down you go, the badder they is. Now I live two miles down that road now i ain't saying i'm bad but when all of them bad peoples get together they call me boss end quote that man's name was sergeant leroy brown
2: oh Oh, wow
5: so we're just gonna transition to the song from the life and times album from 1973 an undeniable crochet classic bad bad leroy brown love this song
4: 18, when they went and pulled down from the floor. Leroy looked like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of...
2: Classic. So good.
3: Absolutely classic. I have a, uh, hey, I've got a, I have something for you, uh, Will. I got a little uh, fun fact.
5: Fun fact. Do it. you know
3: why he uses the line uh, meaner than a junkyard dog? It's because nothing rhymes with Superfly snooker <laughs> Otherwise, that would have been it. Wait, what? Junkyard dog was a wrestler, and so was Superfly uh, okay. No. okay. The, uh, it's, 80, uh, uh, it's 80s uh, uh, wrestling humor. Like three people got that joke. Well, uh, first but was, of all, but it was
5: totally worth it
2: no but there's three people on this podcast and i didn't get it
5: (laughs) who's the third it's the giggling hillbilly don't you know (laughs) i mean where have you been so anyway ld you said that uh that is one of your favorite songs
2: yes yes
5: it is Um, yeah
3: one of my my favorites of gems for sure
5: that was what
2: uh that was what that was the kind of stuff our mom would play us okay and so again like I knew the lyrics to Leroy Brown <laughs> before I could say the Pledge of Allegiance, <laughs> so nice. that, that tells you what kind of household we grew up in.:
3: Yeah we, we listened to uh, we were allowed to to listen to what our mom did, which was oldies and soul music mainly so the 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 rocks the the, the rock and roll we would hear would be stuff like that what we just heard. it would be Jim Croce right. or C c R or the Beatles nice. until we were about 12 or 13.
5: Well, I will say that the origin of the song is sort of debated. I mean, I read this in the book, and I'm like, well, there's there's no debate. In my opinion, that's the origin. Now, Ingrid has said in other interviews that that was part of it, and that the junkyard dog line actually came out of a story that Jim had with one of his trucker buddies where they were at a they were going by somewhere late at night, and they were like, "Oh, that's a mad junkyard dog. Um, some actually think it was related to characters Jim met on his routes through West Philadelphia, meeting some of the more unsavory characters but born and raised but uh, you're going to keep doing that aren't you yes i am it's but, not um, to stop when i read that in the book i was like i'm going with that so is it the origin of the song i have to believe it's part of it you got it mm-hmm. there's no other way um needless to say sergeant leroy brown actually liked jim he thought he was funny supposedly he actually got jim out of a punishment for a wall oh, apparently wow. jim went a wall at one point <laughs> allegedly allegedly Uh, He even helped him get a special visitor pass where Ingrid could come to the base and see him. Now, they were housed in a guest house with shared walls. So think military, that era, what's going on in those places. You don't get much sleep. Let me put it that way. Okay. Yeah. Also, Jim could make use of his truck driving experience because he was a truck driver and he could drive trucks on the base. So it sort of gave him something to do. That's one good thing that came out of the military. Next was around this time, this was actually in November, give or take, of 1966. Jim gets a letter from Tommy, as we remember, he sent that one pressing to Tommy of the mm-hmm. Facets album. Tommy was actually now with a company called Command Records, which was a subsidiary of Paramount in New York City. Now, Tommy was putting together a record called Drifter's Melody, where he was compiling a bunch of songs by different artists, and that would include Sun Come Up from the Facets album. Now, someone at Columbia actually heard it and they said, hey, we might want to publish that. So Tommy contacts Jim and says, hey, they want to publish this. It could be a really good option for you. Let me send you the contracts, which is setting the stage for those of you know Jim's story and catalog of where this is going. So with that, uh, Jim was actually wrapping up boot camp. Finally, he actually completed it this time. Uh, he was going to return home to an uncertain future tragedy would again strike at the jacobson household ingrid would actually suffer assault and their marriage would be tested even more but before we get to that chapter dear listeners which will be next week i will leave you with a parting song but first our socials and information
2: all right guys so if you think we're doing a good job after this episode why wouldn't you i thought it was a good episode no (laughs) you were fine (laughs) It was
3: despite mine and LD's best
5: efforts. It effort.
2: <laughs> we spent six and a half minutes making jokes about being circumcised. That was
5: funny. Come on. <laughs> I thought
2: funny.
5: it was highly appropriate.
2: And if you'd like to give us a cut of your paycheck, hey-o, hey-o! Hey-o. <laughs> you can do so at uh, patreoncom backslash rock and
5: roll. You can give us a tip, just the tip. Uh, I said you
3: you, just, you beat me to the joke. I was, just, <laughs> I, I was just about to say it.
5: Don't make a pecker, <laughs> do
2: not make a pecker joke when I talk about Twitter. Oh, which you, can, you can find us on oh, Twitter man. at Rock and Roll LT. Check out our Instagram at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. The place where we're really having a lot of fun right now, guys, is on Facebook at yes. Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Uh, we have a blast over there. Uh, you can see photos, I post funny memes. Uh, there's a lot of great interaction happening over there. And uh, still not going to say our website. And you can email us at LT at gmail.com. And please make sure that you check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. Got a lot of awesome stuff coming up, guys. Uh, so please make sure to stick with us because I promise it gets better. I can't promise that. <laughs> I can't make any guarantees. So uh, join us next week when we uh, finish. Well, we're not done with the series. We're no. in part three of the Jim Croce story so for all of us here rock and roll heaven all of you guys out there just remember keep your socks dry wait no that was Herb Welch uh anyway good night <laughs> <laughs> T is there something that you would like to say to our audience that's the way it is awesome. great great and uh RIP Norm MacDonald hmm. uh he can now watch Peter Fonda pick blueberries
5: yeah in person
2: yeah <laughs> All right, I'm turning it back over to Mr. Wilmothrill.
5: Cool. As we close out the episode, there was a third sort of positive aspect that came out of Jim's time at the military, and that was making phone calls. So all the men in the military would line up. (laughs) You know where this is going? (laughs) What?
2: Should I tell the story now? I I want you to tell the story, yes. Uh, Okay, so... Uh, can I blow the what the song yeah, is? Yeah, because everyone knows okay. what it's gonna be. I mean so the song is operator and Will knows my opinion of this song. L- LB hates this song. I hate this song. Not that it's a bad song, but I'm just like, dude, stop calling the operator <gasps> because she's got other shit to do. Okay. Stop bugging her. What this is like, I think this is like pre 911. What if there is a fire? What if there is an or like a, a crime? taking place at this point and you just keep calling her and be like let me tell you the story of this lady that i lost like no leave her alone you're being a creep stop
5: it well it's really funny you mention that because later in jim's career it actually goes the other way as jim became famous he would actually call collect the operator would say you know call he'd say this is jim calling for ingrid and and the operator would say oh you know jim like jim croce he's like yeah that's me and the operator would be like oh my God, I heard your song. I love it. And then oh, he'd be like, uh, thank you. Can you connect my call? <laughs> I want to talk to my wife, please. <laughs> um, needless to say, Jim would spend hours waiting in line. Sometimes the line to make a phone call to your significant other was well over an hour. And while Jim was waiting, he would hear you know, all these stories from the other guys, including the dreaded Dear John message. Um, so he would you know, be behind some guy who was talking to his lover or girlfriend or wife who was leaving him. Oh, geez. so all this became again grist for the mill as they say and it resulted in I would argue TJ correct me if I'm wrong here one of Jim's most well known songs
2: just leave the girl I would say
5: yeah. yeah so we're going to close out with a classic from Jim Croce before we go into the next part part three next week here is from the 1972 album you don't mess around with Jim we're going to leave you friends with Operator
4: call, see the number on the matchbook is old and faded. she's living in L.A. with my best old ex-friend, Ray, gosh, she said a knew well and sometimes hate it. baby
0: Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to bedfredsports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Oh, that new doctor is dropped at gorgeous. <laughs>